Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Reverend Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. I'm your host, Paul John Roach. I'm coming to you from Fort Worth in Texas. And today is part three in our four-part series on death, dying, and the afterlife. And today I talk to the authors of an unusual and deeply moving book about a fascinating dialogue with a person moving through a terminal illness into a coma, finally dying, and then beyond that to the connection that continues. And um, this communication is not conducted in the usual sense, but, but through spiritual means, and we'll find out more about that in a minute. The book is entitled Beyond Ever After, a heart-to-heart, and that's a key right there, a heart-to-heart journey through death and the afterlife. The authors are Catherine A. Weisenberg, who has the ability to communicate and dialogue with the divine, with the deceased, and with coma patients. And uh, her writings, as she, she calls them, uh, these dialogues are uh, explored more fully in her website, uh, loveability.net, as well as in this fascinating book. And Jocelyn uh, Montanaro is a lawyer and the wife of Kevin, who uh, was com- communicated through um, Catherine in, in the beautiful messages that are transcribed in the book. So I'm not sure if Jocelyn's here yet, but I know Catherine is. So it's a pleasure to welcome Catherine Weisenberg to today's show. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning. And I'm not sure if um, we're having a hard time getting through to Jocelyn. uh, Maybe we can work on that anyway. Okay. She doesn't seem to have a Skype address. but Uh, She does under her name. Uh, yeah, so welcome for uh, today's conversation with you. Yeah, fascinating book. You know, folks, there's 110 sections in the book telling the story, right, from from normal, quote, a normal life, you know, with all its ups and downs in, into the um, the difficulty that, that terminal cancer can, can bring into a relationship. And, and then this fascinating communication, you know, as Kevin, the, the husband, um, moves into basically a coma. He's, he can't communicate except very vaguely um, in, in conventional ways. 
but Jocelyn gets in touch with you, Catherine, and uh, you were able to conduct this in-depth conversation or series of conversations with Kevin and with the divine, with God even, um, for, for during this period of time. And that continued after Kev Kevin passed away. Uh, so it's a fascinating record, isn't it, of um, uh, and lessons, really, of what we might learn from not, not being as afraid of, of, of death as we sometimes are. Right. And uh, Jocelyn's husband had brain cancer, and uh, following a, a recurrence, he had a surgery that uh, the, he, was, he was okay for three years post-diagnosis. And then during a surgery, to, uh, he had a reoccurrence of his brain cancer, which they expected would happen. Uh, during a surgery uh, to remove the tumor, he had uh, an artery tear and he went in, um, he never woke up, came out of anesthesia um, and was in UCLA um, for 26 days. And uh, the you read the book, so you know the unique perspective is that Kevin was a very faithful man and Jocelyn really wanted to believe, but didn't and thought God was killing her husband. And so she wasn't uh, into any of this kind of thing, but she was desperate. And so her sister introduced us at which point um, uh, he had been in a coma in 26 days at UCLA and nothing. They were, he had five more surgeries and nothing was waking him up. And uh, during that telephone session, uh, he reported that he he couldn't believe he was in a coma, and he said, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, uh, through through uh, my communication with him and facilitating that." And uh, he uh, was ingenious, and he said, "I'm gonna uh, conduct an experiment, tap my finger," and he was able to uh, move his own finger during while we were all on the phone and. He roused himself out of a 26-day coma, which sadly was short-lived, but that's where the story began. So, And for those, let's start off with, with the, the skeptics in our audience, right? The ones that say, oh, this, is, this could, not could not happen. So what do you say to those people? You know, you, you have this um, gift, obviously, and, and, and we, we've had many people on our show who are you know, can channel and do and do psychic right. uh, things, and and so we're familiar with it. But but here you're even talking to God as if God was a a person. And some people might say, well, you know, it, how how real is this? So tell us a little bit about the gift that you have and and, so, and how that works. So, um, I, you know, God, uh, God, the all energy, love force, uh, um the creator, however people want to con conceive that. Um, I have no, uh, if the, the word God puts people off, I'm completely fine with that. But I was in graduate school studying communication of all things. And that's the big cosmic joke. I started yeah. having these amazing experiences where I would know things or be able to communicate things that I would have no way of knowing. And um, so um, it's the energy, it's that love energy that I connect with. And 
Jocelyn, um, it was the number one skeptic and couldn't believe any of this could be real. But, um, and this is always the case uh, with um, the kind of work that I do, is that something is said so specifically, it's not, uh, you know, um, random or it's very specific. So for example, in um, Beyond Ever After, uh, Jocelyn didn't believe was the total skeptic too. And so she uh, asked a test, tech, a test question and she said, well, she asked her husband, what's the last thing you remember? And uh, he said, I remember uh, taking Linda's hand and saying, thank you for doing this, Linda. And that is what the surgeon had come out to tell them before he was still in recovery. And she said, your husband is the nicest man when we... Um, uh, before when we were wheeling him in, he took my hand and said, thanks for doing that, Linda. And then everything went south and she had even forgotten of that conversation, but he told her the exact verbatim words. So um, I know it's a stretch after 33 years, it was a stretch for me when this gift came and I wouldn't have no idea of what I was. I mean, I was fully aware and present, but um I would say things to people and relay these messages from spirit and they would just start having these releases and crying and they always understood. So, um, you know, faith is bigger than us. And I understand that, uh, well, here at unity and I, as I mentioned, I'm a unity prayer chaplain as well. Um, so we have more of a metaphysical, uh, appreciation for God in our lives. I think, uh, you know, our, our, our perceptual field is, is big enough to handle that. Um, so, um, you know, I think we know what love is. We know what our direct experiences are and we're right to be skeptical of things. Um, I was skeptical and I was afraid because I thought, Oh my God, this might be the devil or whatever yeah. um, when this initially started happening. And uh, I had a friend who I really, really respected and she had two priests uh, who were both psychologists and priests. And she said, she had told me, Oh, this is gifts of the spirit. And I was like, what the heck is that? And she said, well, father Ed and father Pete will talk to you about it. And so I, I thought, okay, because I was afraid of it being more sinister. I didn't know or I, I knew I couldn't be losing my mind, although I thought of that because I was so highly functional and I couldn't get strangers to collude in my delusions with me. And they they asked me, you know, what happens and how do people respond? And I'm like, they always understand. And he said, they said, well, you know, how you judge this is by the fruits of it. You know, if you see that it helps people, you know, it's from God. And if you see anything dark or ominous about it, stop and I'm I said, stop. I didn't even start it. Like I, I didn't even know it was sort of a gift that just came upon me. And that's been 33 years ago. And, um, it's always helpful to people. It's, um, always beautiful. As you saw in our book, um, there are, um, God writings in there. I call them God writings and they just go in and, um, 
a lot of people have said over the years that this is very much Course in Miracles, the, the God portion writings, which is mostly what I do, um, unless the deceased are people in comas. But we wrote this book because he actually roused himself out of a coma, and um, and he was a very faithful man. And so it's it also contains his wisdom he wasn't afraid of dying he was ready he knew he was going to go to a a better place and jocelyn was the one as we all are when we are losing or lose someone we love that just couldn't believe it um and now she of course you know through her experiences with kevin knows that all of it is real Right, and, that, and you could look at it that way in terms of the, the book's structure, too, you know, that you, you represent that open and receptive channel to the, to the divine and, and to the, um, the, the deceased or the, the one in the coma. And, and then, um, you know, Joss represents that sort of, like we said, skeptical mind or unbelieving mind and the mind that resists too sometimes you know we don't want to deal with it we're afraid of death we're afraid of losing our loved ones and then you've got this interesting character kevin you know who 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 represents a a very interesting person because you get the flavor of kevin you know like you said he's a very religious man but he's also a very buoyant and and, and humorous person and that that comes through in the in the dialogues um but, but what i find also from kevin is that He's got a more global perspective, right? Because he's he's now beyond his body, if you like. He's he's communicating at a different level uh, of awareness, and so um, you know he has he doesn't got he hasn't got the fear that that he might have had in you know as a human in his body. Um, now he sees the whole picture, if you like. Well, maybe not the whole picture, but he sees a a larger perspective, right? So you, so you get this idea of someone who is. Uh, constantly comforting and helping uh, Jocelyn through through her difficulty, right? Through her grief, her, her resistance, and the kids too. Um, and so that's moving, right? Because you get that whole sense of um, someone working there. He's almost like a therapist to mm-hmm. to the people, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think that he is. Uh... He really, uh, you you got it exactly, you know, he is more concerned about her and helping her through and loving her because he has his faith. You know, I, I make the point in the book, it, it, it's kind of at the last hours, a little late to try to get your faith on or your belief or, you know, I mean, a lot of people do, um, whatever that faith may be. I mean, um, and he really is more focused upon her and her getting through and loving her and giving her strength. But in, in so doing, he's also allowing all of us as readers, um, to, to understand that our loved ones do not leave us just because of death. They, you know, love doesn't stop at the end of our bodies. And uh, we know love is the most powerful force in the universe. And he really embodies that and demonstrates that throughout the book, both in his process of dying and beyond in his afterlife experience. Um, right. In a very human, accessible way, you know, because he's not some guardian angel or uh, elusive. He's still a very real and vibrant presence. 
And I, and I wanted to ask a technical question about that, because at the beginning, when the first writings take place, um, Kevin doesn't seem to be aware of what's going on for his body. You know, um, he has to ask you or, or other people what's what's happening here. Later on, he seems to be more in touch with with himself, you know, with with his um, circumstances. So it's almost like at the beginning he he moved into this uh, realm. I don't know what you might call it, you know, between lives realm where where he's uh, disconnected in some way from um, f from right. the, from the conditions around him. Talk talk about well, that a little more because I thought so, that was an interesting part. Yes. Yeah, so for Kevin, Kevin, um, when the first time we make contact with him. Uh, or I make contact with him, um, he thinks he's dreaming. So that's what, he's in a coma. He's been in a coma for 26 days, but he thinks he's dreaming. And think about this. Um, when we go to bed, we just don't think we have to do anything to wake ourselves up. I mean, we might set an alarm, but you and I, every day of my life, I go to sleep. I think I'm just going to wake up. So his consciousness, he is having an experience, which he describes what his experience is in the coma. And it is this other, uh, loosely, uh, as you said, he's not, he doesn't know what's going on with his body because he thinks he's dreaming. And that's what he reports. This must be a post-anesthetic dream. And uh, his wife, Jocelyn, says, I wish it were a dream, um, but you're, you're not, you know, you're in a coma and I'm scared. And, and, um, and when he has that realization, he doesn't just accept it. Even he is a skeptic. And he says, well, uh, that can't be, you know, this can't be so. And he says, I'm going to conduct an experiment or I'm going to try something. And he says, um, tap my finger. Now I'm on the phone in uh, Washington and she is in uh, uh, L.A., um, his wife and her sister is at the hospital. And so she gets on another line, a cell phone and calls her sister and and when the sister who's there at the hospital with him while she's on a landline and he grabs the sister's hand and starts tapping his finger. I thought it meant like tap his finger so he knew that it was a test that he could test it. But what he was doing was sending his he was more ingenious. He was sending a message. Can I send a message from my brain to tap my finger and prove to me that this is real? And in case, and, and in fact, that is what he does in physicality. He grabs her sister's hand and he starts tapping his finger. And then he knew, oh, okay, now I'm going to try to wake myself up. Um, and once he does that, he is very aware of who he is and where he is, his consciousness is now awake and aware. Right, and, yeah, excellent. And it, it stays that way, even though he goes to rehab and he starts getting a little better, and then, of course, he still has the brain cancer, which takes him. Um, uh, but he is very decisive and clear-headed about what he wants to have happen. Um, he, She's hell-bent on taking him home and taking care of him 
and she hasn't really accepted that he's dying. And, um, you know, as, as we can all appreciate, it's very hard reality. And through me, um, again, we have another session and he says, you know, I don't want that to happen in my house. Um, you're going to have to accept this. And I want to go, we in Santa Barbara have a place called Serenity House, a beautiful hospice. And I don't want that to be our children's last memories in our house. And and so he is very clear headed. And then even after he passes, he communicates with her um, about his passing and what um, he saw. And and he was a very um, Christian um, man. And he and uh I say to Jocelyn, he was pretty fundamentalist. And she said, oh, no, no, no. And I said, well, she describes him as carrying his Bible with him everywhere. So he was pretty much a real, you know, um, uh, very devout Christian. And he right. says, he reports that, that when he met Jesus, he hugged him. And he said, who would have thought Jesus is a good hugger? Yeah, so, yeah I remember you that know, thought. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. And, yeah. I I, and I think Jocelyn's is, with us now, right? Hi, oh, Jocelyn. Yes. Glad, you, Hi. glad you could able I, to join I us. I bet her a bit. Sorry about the uh, late chime in, but I think he said Jesus was a great hugger. And I, I remember saying to him, I that, bet that made you really happy because um, I think that was an experience that he was hoping to have and was thrilled that he got. Yeah, that's lovely. And, it, it, you know, it reminds me of the fact that, you know, in these experiences, we we get to be with the ones that we're comfortable with, right? So if, if we're a, a different religion, we may, we may come into contact with, you know, someone that's close in that religion, whatever. So, because um, spirit can take many forms, right? And um, obviously he was close to Jesus, so therefore, you know, it's it's natural that he would see an image of, of Jesus and a uh, confirmation for him of that spirit moving through, you know, Jesus Christ. So... Um, and I also, you know, you, you talked about there was a little confusion at the beginning or a dreamlike quality. I think this is true when we first pass over, too, isn't it? There's this sense of where am I? You know, oh, it's after a while that we, we settle in and we realize, oh, you know, I'm no longer alive. I'm experiencing another dimensional reality here. But um, so, yeah, it makes sense what you described there. And then. Jocelyn, we were saying earlier, I think before uh, you joined us, that it's beautiful to listen to Kevin, you know, because his words of wisdom, he's he's still got his humanness, right? His good sense of humor and he he likes to joke and and, uh, he knows, you know, little incidents about your lives together. But but there's also the sense that he's a a comforter, a, a sort of a counselor for you and for us as well, you know, as we read the book, because... He's got nothing but sort of open-hearted um, things to say. You know, he, he did in the book, and he was like that when he was alive, too. Uh-huh. It was just his name. So um, he definitely took himself with him. As Catherine has shared before, you know, it's not like a car wash where you just go through and you come out thick and span on the other way, other side. You, you definitely take yourself with you, and that's been my experience with him because – He's he's the, he's pretty much the same same grammar same syntax it's 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 remarkable. Yeah, interesting, isn't it, folks? Uh, just to remind you, I'm I'm with uh, Catherine Weisenberg and Jocelyn Montanaro, and we're talking about this quite exceptional book. It's called Beyond Ever After: A Heart to Heart Journey Through Death 
and the afterlife. And, and it's this journey that, um, you know, Catherine as being a communicator with, um, with souls uh, is able to communicate with Kevin through this whole process of moving through terminal cancer, uh, through the, a comatose situation, a rally and, and you know and then at the hospice before before death but then also the communication afterwards as well and, and it's all laid out in in short chapters which is good i think because it's quite intense in a way and you, and you need to be able to read one chapter and, and sort of think about it cogitate it a little bit before you move on right and and i think that that helps make the book um digestible in a way you know and, and i think that's important well, you know, there's a lot of lot to digest in there, um, especially Catherine's chapters. They're very, you know, um, content heavy and require a lot of, I think, contemplation. And right. so, I, I think it's, I think it's good. It's like that. It's a little back and forth. It gives, um, you know, kind of a break from each of us along the way. There's two phrases that struck me during the reading of the book. One of them, of course, in the, uh, in the title itself, uh, Heart to Heart. And another one is Holy Spirit, um, but not in the usual sense, but with a W-H, Holy Spirit. And uh, those are both meaningful phrases, I think. Um, and they speak to unity audiences as well, because um, we're familiar with the whole spirit of God, you know, the idea of completeness. And, and that's something that is in the book, I think, is that the God uh, or the divine speaking through Kevin or through this God image is, um, is, is whole and complete. You know, it's, it's love itself and, and, and nothing to be frightened of. So when we come back from the break, let's talk about those phrases because I think they're key elements to understanding what all this is about. Heart to heart and Holy Spirit. Join us after these messages from... Unity will be back in a couple of minutes. See you then. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. Welcome back to today's show. I'm, I'm with uh, Catherine Weisenberg and Jocelyn Montanaro, and they've written a book called Beyond Ever After, Heart to Heart Journey Through Death and the Afterlife, which is the story of um, Jocelyn's husband, Kevin, as he goes through terminal cancer, into a coma, dies, but is still in communication thanks to Catherine's skills at uh, communicating with him during this time. It makes for a very heartwarming book. Um, it's a very honest book because it deals also with um, Jocelyn's resistance and anger and fear, uh, which we all go through when we're dealing with these things, And uh, but also her epiphany. And, and uh, 
it, you know, in the book, uh, we, we find out that Kevin is the sort of spiritual or, or religious person and, and Justin not so much. And, um, but, but from all the things that have happened, right, Jocelyn, there's that sense of you come to a greater understanding and there is, there is something to this. It, it not necessarily in a traditional religious sense, but, but there's more going on than meets the eye. Let's put it like that. Well, that's an understatement. And uh, yes, there is a lot more going on than, than meets the eye. And um, uh, I wish everyone could know what I know. And I hoped, we hoped by writing the book, it would, you know, give people a glimpse into it. Because, I mean, when you've had the experience, of course, it's, uh, you know, it's transformational. But, um, but often you can read about something else and have a similar kind of, hopefully, transformation. That's what I hope it does. I mainly just... Um, you know, uh, the biggest thing for me, and I don't know, since I missed the beginning of this, I don't know if you've talked about this stuff yet, was, you know, I, most people, obviously, they fear death. And, um, you know, I don't fear it anymore. And that's just has really changed the way I live my life. Of course, I don't want it to hurt on my way there. But um, I'm not worried about what happens afterwards. I know it's, it's going to be okay, you know, and, um you know, I'm going to see Kevin again, and uh, he said it's going to be like a blink of an eye, like not a moment has passed. And that's really helped me get through a lot of, you know, challenging times, you know, raising kids by myself afterwards, my youngest had just turned 13 at the time. And, and also just when I find myself in situations that would normally just stress me out and want to make my in, inner control freak come out and it's probably not so inner as Catherine would tell you, but I'm, I'm yeah. able to just approach things, you know, less intensely because I, I appreciate and I understand kind of the context about which it all is. Yeah, so it's lovely. Beautifully it's, put. It's, it's, it's been really, you know, it, it has formed me really every day of my life since all this happened. And we were mentioning in the break, um, you know, about where we are right now in the world with COVID-19 and, and other stresses. And a lot of people are concerned, you know, that it might lose their loved ones and, and not be around, you know, for that loved one because um, physical restrictions and whatnot. And and the, the knowledge, though, is that our loved ones are still with us, right? We may not be able to be physically present to them, but we have this opportunity to be with them spiritually there's no time or space to spirit and and so they can be with us um, and we can commune with them and this isn't mumbo jumbo or woolly thinking that this is actuality right we can we can be there and and that that's that's real work that we can do so um it's always great to be in the physical presence obviously if we possibly can but when the circumstances don't allow for that, I think that it doesn't mean that we can't be in communion. The other thing we mentioned in the in the break too was that um, you know the, the last thing the last sense to go, so they say, is hearing. So even if they're in a deep coma, uh, they can still hear, and maybe not with the f physical ears so much as with uh, that awareness, that receptivity. Um, and uh, and that was pr proved really in the book where, where you know, Kevin was still able to um, be aware, even as though he wasn't present in, in terms of conventional awareness. So I, I think uh, it, it's never too late to say what we need to say to our loved ones. Right. They, they can hear 
at a very deep level. And I think I think that's important because sometimes we think, oh, they're gone now. There's nothing I can do. Uh, but I think that's wrong, isn't it? There's always something you can do, right? Absolutely. And that is the heart-to-heart communication. You know, our hearts are so much more expansive than the organ that pumps blood, you know, through our bodies. And when that heart stops beating, that heart, that vessel of love and connection and infinite spirit, it it's not contained in a body. And right. so it can expand and reach beyond. And we know that love is the most powerful force in the universe or, or one of them, perhaps God and spirit or however you conceive of that. But that heart to heart, which you mentioned and is talked about in the book, that heart to heart communication, my heart or your heart, we don't have to be in physical proximity to send that love, to send those intentions, to, to feel that connection, that vibration, and bridge those distances, whether they're from me and my, my uh, grandchild that lives across town that I'm not able to see, or it's my loved one that passed 20 years ago, my mother, our hearts, these vessels, and I say that we're designed by and for love. And that allows us to have these connections and communications. And, um, and now more than ever, it's, it's a time to really take, um, take comfort in that not as mumbo jumbo or I wish or hope or wishful thinking, but in actuality, this is true and powerful and real. And we see it in our, in our lives when we think of a friend from 20 years ago or 15 years ago, and that person calls us. So we have these things, I call them in the book and talk about them as divine synchronicities. But again, that is that heart-to-heart communication. That is that spiritual us that is vaster and more powerful than um, than we give credit to because um, we're so much in our minds and our and I, I love that idea of uh, divine synchronicities you know because I think we've all had them right the, um, you know oftentimes I'll be thinking about my daughter and then she'll call me you know um, so obviously she's been thinking about me and that connection was made even across miles and and so there's no time or space to this stuff, you know, that we are, we are one, we're connected. And and usually we just say, oh, well, that was a coincidence or whatever. But but I think divine synchronicities, you know, where where we're in alignment, they're powerful, aren't they? Because they they reaffirm for us um, something greater that's going on than than just the, the world of three dimensional reality and. And we, we have to be cognizant of it. You know, if you're not aware of it, it doesn't exist. Right. And that's part of what Kevin is trying to do. I think all through the book is, um, you know, gently nudge a, a greater awareness here, you know. Um, and uh, so, like I said earlier, he's, he's almost like a counselor, um, a spiritual counselor for, for us and, and certainly for, for you, Jocelyn. Um, during this period, and, and, and for himself, I would say, because I think he does some self-counseling as well. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the thing about Kevin is uh, Kevin always wanted to take a missions trip. 
Right. And so, uh, you know, the brain cancer and his uh, early death didn't allow him to do that. But this book is, uh, Jocelyn and I believe, is the missions trip he never got to take because he is able to reach out and be with people and show his goodness and show how his faith and his love of his family and his devotion to his wife um, buoyed him through this, what we all fear most, public speaking and death. So he, <laughs> there we go. In, in, in a way, being, being an emissary for this faith and this love that death has no power over. Yeah, I thought that death has no power over. I thought that was a fun way to end the book, you know, because the top of his list was an epiphany for Jocelyn, which obviously you've had, you just described it beautifully earlier. And then the second one, he wanted to go to the Holy Land. Well, he's in his Holy Land now. And then mm -hmm. the mission trip is a different form. It's it's through this writing and, and through his message to us. So, yeah, that that's a beautiful way of looking at it. And, you know, we like to look at it like that in unity, you know, what's behind things, you know, don't just uh, accept what's being presented in the physical. What, what's the metaphysical significance? And, um, you know, what's the symbolic meaning of, of these things? And, and that can be very rich. We don't we don't always have to travel to the Holy Land to be in the Holy Land, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's a beautiful recognition also. And it, it links in with that Holy Spirit, too, mm -hmm. right? And I love that idea. You right. know, there's, there's this, I don't know if you're familiar with, I think it's um, uh, Ricky Byers wrote the song, Holy, Holy God, and, um, that they sing in, in uh, uh, Santa's for Spiritual Living. We used to sing it in our community. But mm -hmm. uh, it's it's uh, I love the idea that it is holy in the sense whole um, and uh, and complete, right? Right. And in unity, we believe we are already whole and perfect. Yes. So, and we see even though Kevin was a, was a not um, a, a unity principle student, he lived unity principles. He demonstrated them. He breathed them, you know, and uh, and that was that he was holy, H-O-L-Y, and holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, spirit, as we all are. And that recognition is is a powerful one, as we know. Absolutely. Well, you know, there's a, there's a quote in the in the Gospels where Jesus said, "You must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect." And people say, "Oh my God, I, I can never be perfect. You know, that's that's too tall an order." But you know, I think the better translation, so they say, is um, is complete. You know, you must be complete, as your heavenly Father is complete. And and complete meaning, you know, full on, right? Living life to the full, not, right. not holding back, not uh, being tentative. And, uh, you know, Kevin did that, didn't he? He, uh, he obviously did that in his regular life before this traumatic situation. But he continued to do so, you know, through that. And, and you all did as well. So and, and that's why the book is worth reading, because it's it's a it's a whole experience. It's not holding back uh, or we can't look at these things. No, it's all in there. You know, the fear, the the anger, the hurt, it's it's all part of the grieving. And, and you know, you talk about that, Justin, after he passed, you know, there's a hole and and you sh shared many of the um, stages that, that we go through, you know, in the grieving process of the seeming hopelessness of it and 
and yet life goes on, right? It doesn't stop for one second. Nobody stops and says, oh, I'm, I'll grieve with you. You know, so they may do for a few minutes, but then we're back to our regular lives, right? So life does progress. And um, that's, that can be cruel, but it's also a comfort, you know, that there, there is this continuity. So it's all part of the whole. And, and that's, that's a pretty, uh, I think, a profound thing to get our heads around or hearts around, you know, this, this idea of our connectedness in that way. And the other thing that we've found since we've written this book is we have an option for people to share their stories. And before COVID, we were doing public speaking engagements and whatnot. And what people say is we've all had these experiences. And for many of us, it's still kind of this taboo. I don't want to seem weird. I shouldn't talk about this. Or, um, And yet for many of us, they're the most intimate experiences of our lives, whether it is experiencing a connection with someone who's passed on or feeling that deep spiritual connection with something greater than ourselves. And, um, and so the idea is that we are all, we are both, we are always straddling this human and divine uh, we have feet in both realms, if you will, even as we live our lives, you know, that we are both human and divine. And this book, I think, with uh, Jocelyn sharing and we see her dismantling from her, I'm just human and this, there can be a God because he's killing my husband, to this softening into her own divinity. And surely um, Kevin holds her hand through that process and holds all of our hands as readers through that process that yes, we are both divine and human. And maybe those two things are that wholeness, that holiness. Right, is, absolutely. Our enoughness is already there. We are not damaged. And that comes up in their conversation where, you know, she's seen all what's not there, but he's saying but this and that and trying to comfort her and and believe me he's effective at it because you know she's heartbroken and bereft and doesn't have faith and through this book and through this direct experience because that's our teacher through her own divine synchronicities and her own direct experiences her divinity and her faith grows more than most you know so we and I had a long, opportunity. long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's being very, very, very honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's get I still have a long way to go. Yeah, right. We all, well, we all do, and that's okay. You know, um, getting technical again. You know, it, uh, I understand when you write. You know, uh, these dialogues or whatever. We'll get this communication. It's like you're going very, very quickly, almost like automatic writing, right? You're beyond yes, your, your thinking. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah tell, me, tell us about that. Yeah, about. but it isn't automatic because, as Jocelyn can tell you and anybody, I'm still fully present. It's just almost that I, I, I sense the energy and I must have this gift to turn that into prose. And it's so fast and it's so furious. And but it's not like I'm somewhere else and my hands just moving at all. I my gift is to be able to translate that energy into prose. And um, yes, 
people are shocked, you know. Um, I think that first writing, uh, the second writing when I went down to UCLA was 64 pages long and about two and a half hours. Am I right about that, Jocelyn? Yeah. So yeah, was, that tells you how well, fast a, I'm writing. <laughs> she writes, uh, she writes, you know, it's funny when she's writing, it's so fast. And you can't, and then you read it, you can't believe that she's written something, especially the introductions, the God introductions, something so poetic and profound um, so quickly. I mean, it's, as she's described it, it's like a download, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's, if you could ha- actually have the experience, it's, it's amazing. Because it's, it's just, you know, that it's from God when you see it, because there's no way that a human being could possibly come up with all this stuff. <laughs> You know, so do you, that do you have to um, edit it, or is it, it again, what, no. what comes down is what it is, right? Yeah, we none of none none of the writings that are in the book are edited at all. I mean, right. punctuation. I, I'm not putting punctuation in while I'm writing it, but no, that is as it was. As uh, it is, yeah. As correct. it was in the moment. So. Yeah. Very cool. You know, there's another I'm image sure. that go that's in the book too, and that's the image of water. I'm very into that right now. Um, Myself, I've been contemplating uh, the spiritual significance and otherwise of, of the flow of water and whatnot. Um, so tell, tell us about that, because you mentioned it a few times. Um, I'm not quite sure. Uh, well, there's, so, so there's... I think what he's talking about, Catherine, is... Is the right tentacles. The, uh, of, right. Of, and then, um, yeah. You know... Uh, I think what might be um, I there was an image of water, the flow of water as well and right. that yeah. we're attracted to the ocean or even to the hot tub and and you get inspiration in the shower in the morning you know they, the, it's the uh-huh, flow absolutely. of water yeah that is a, con, a conductor for sure and I think I was um, there's one about the tentacles and uh, a description in an intro for uh, Jocelyn about the tentacles of a of an octopus that after Kevin dies that uh, there is so much of uh, her she's trying to she's like this eight armed thing trying to be and do everything for everyone and um, and feeling drowning but yes this flow and and I would say that always um, in the God portions of writings that there's always a thing that's unique to the individual, but it is always about flowing with and not resisting rather. And there, every uh, metaphor, they're never replicated. And I've done hundreds and hundreds of these, but um, yes, you know, and I think that that captures our nature, you know, um, and maybe uh, even the the idea of how much water that even lives in us or liquid, you know, that we are always in flow. And it's when we resist that we find ourselves having more difficult times. But yes, I think water is a spiritual conductor. I know in my work, um, it can be. And also think of uh, in tradition, baptismals we see water coming up a lot you know right absolutely and this idea of thirsting for for spirit or for um more fulfilled lives you know um so absolutely 
Um, yeah, important imagery there. Important. Um, we are mostly water ourselves, right? The whole body is made up of water, so it right. makes sense. You know, everything's it flowing, and the, it's a very Taoist idea. You know, it only when it becomes dry and brittle do we break, right? And uh, trouble is, we try and resist all these things we know are going to happen. You know, we know we're going to die. Well, let's not talk about it right now. And part of the spiritual path is to is to talk about it right now, right? To die before you die, to to come to terms with that. And um, people don't want to do it because they think it's morbid or whatever. But really, it helps you live more fully, I think, oh. if, we, if we embrace it, right? Yeah, no, it opens you up to deeper life. And we know gratitude is such a powerful antidote to whatever ails us so even being more grateful for our lives our own lives um and 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 like i said a lot of people fear death most people fear death if you know surveys have shown that so uh and yet it's inescapable so making peace with it and what we know in what uh is in beyond ever after is that kevin was at peace with his dying he was holding no resistance whatsoever he was uh, knowing he was going to be one with the one and he was he was OK. He didn't you know, he knew he wanted to be there for Jocelyn. But um, and, you know, as we know, like trying to put a cat in a kennel, you know, it's not going to be easy if, if we're fighting <laughs> it all the way. You know, yeah, that's true. Um l- Listen, if people want to know more about you and your work uh, and the book. Obviously, the book is published in all the usual outlets, uh, but I think there's a website, isn't there, beyondeverafter.com, right? Yes. If you want to mm-hmm. find out yeah. more. Um, you, yeah, beyondeverafter.com. Everything they could need, need there, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, let me tell folks about next week's show, and then I want you to do something for me, if you would, in the last couple of minutes. Uh, just share something from the heart. Uh, for our listeners that could help us all right now, you know, in the midst of all of the, the various things we're going through. So well, think about that while I'm, while I'm telling everybody about next week's show. So next week is the final part of our four-part series on death and dying in the afterlife. And uh, next week I talk to uh, medium Lisa Najjar, uh, and she's got a book out called Dying to Tell You, and it's channeled messages from the famously dead. We're talking very well-known figures here that have been channeled by her and have stories to tell us. So, um, well, that's going to be an interesting show also. So join us for that. But in the last minute or so, uh, could you give us some words of wisdom and, and, and inspiration? Uh, sure. I just... Um, um... Uh, so I just did a quick little writing and then God welcome open your heart as the liquid love that flows from the infinite spirit of you that never grows dry always be this yes to the love that is you go with God Ooh, I love it yeah how lovely thank you uh-huh. well how in the heck can I talk that <laughs> You don't have to. You just have to be your authentically you. That's all. Um, you know, all I would like everyone to, the, the main thing that I got out of everything is that, um, you know, this life isn't the end of it, which 
is huge and that you don't need to fear death and that everything is okay. You know, whatever happens, even when I'm really having really challenging times, I know that I am held in loving arms that are bigger than I can imagine and have got my back. And I have a peace from that and a serenity that I didn't have before. And, um, it's, uh, and, and, and everybody has that. They might not have know that the way I know it directly, but it's there for all of us. And I love that. Yeah. That it's there for all of us that, um, and it's what we try and teach in unity is that nobody's left out here. We're all welcome. Uh, we're all part of the plan. Um, we're all worthy and beautiful children of God. And so uh, this book is really a, a testimony to that. So, so thank you both for uh, writing it and also being willing to be on, on our show today. Well, thank you for having us. <laughs> and th- and thanks for we always uh, yeah. say it at the same time. <laughs> What's that? I said we always end up saying that at the exact same time. But thank you for yeah, having right. us. That's, that's how it goes sometimes. <laughs> thanks for listening, folks. Have a good week and have a safe week, okay? Bye-bye thank now. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.